Um, I was browsing recently in Barnes and Noble and uh, I saw a title. What good is God? Searching for a faith that matters. The price attracted me because it was $25.99 to, or $24.99 to $4.99. Being a Scot, of course, I, I thought, seems a good bargain. And then I noticed the author was Philip Yancey. I said, I'm going to take that. I'll, I'll plunge 400 and something pages for $4.99. Can't be bad. What good is God? How do you answer that question? Do I really know God today in a more deeper and fuller way than I did last week? God comes to Abraham and says, in Aaron he was at that time, he had moved from Aaron, from Ur to Aaron. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And notice verse 4, so Abram left, as the Lord had said. Do I this morning really know the God of the Bible? Paul says in Philippians, talking about Jesus, who is God, that I might know him, and what? The power of his resurrection. And goes on to talk about being conformable to his death and having fellowship with his sufferings. The scriptures tell us, sorry, go back there. The scriptures tell us that we need to appreciate who God really is. I was reading this recently. A lady who, Marlon Adamson, I was an atheist, she says. Like many atheists, the issue of people believing in God bothered me greatly. And she said this, I've come to find out that God wants to be known. He created us with the intention that we would know him. It was as if, as if I couldn't escape thinking about the possibility of God. Mark your words, an atheist. And over the following several months, she says, I became amazed by God's love for me. Are you amazed this morning about God's love for you? Dr. James Packer, an Englishman, by the way. Not a Scotsman, I'll forgive him that. What were we made for? And he says, to know God. What aim should we have in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives us? To know God. What is the best thing in life? To know God. And what in humans give God, gives God most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. 
See, Christian disciples, you and me who are Christians, and when I talk about Christians, I mean people who personally believe in the dynamic work of Jesus Christ at Calvary, that he died, was buried, and rose again in his body, has ascended into heaven, will one day come for you and for me, and the coming of the Lord, says James, is drawing near. Are we ready? We're called in life to develop a dynamic, deepening relationship with God, to leave what is unimportant, what in reality is not really vital, and look for the reality which is eternal life. Now, some people get the idea you get eternal life when you get to heaven. Friends, you get eternal life when you come to know Jesus. It's not only quality, it's quantity. Here and now, are you living? Basking in the realm of eternal life. You can't buy it. You can't even inherit it. You can't earn it. You and I need an intimate, developing, deepening relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And to such a relationship, God called Abraham. He lived in a prosperous city of Ur, about 250,000 people. Southeast corner of the country we now know as Iraq. At that time, says someone, it was a bustling seaport. History also says it, was only, it wasn't only culturally significant, but a center of intellectual activity. It was an academic center. Oswald Sanders says in the book, it was the focal point of trade routes throughout the world just like New York, just like London. It was an important city. It was an advanced civilization, just like you and me, just like America, just like Europe and other parts of the world. But it was an evil city. It was full of idol worship, perverted lifestyle. And then why, why did God call Abraham? It doesn't even say that Abraham knew God at that time, but God revealed himself to Abraham. Did he recognize a hunger for meaning in his inner life? Was it, was it, did he recognize a dissatisfaction, even a discouragement by the culture all around him? Was he disturbed by the evils in his society and the shallowness of the religion? Even as Paul was waiting in Athens, he comes and his heart was so moved by the idolatry all around him. And he even comes across a, a, an altar to, to the unknown God. See, people today like to cover all bases. Maybe you're like that. I... When I was serving in Spain, there was about 24 different nationalities in this particular church from all over the world. And there was a man who came faithfully every sun, nearly every Sunday, and his name was Ten, Ted Cohen. He was a Jew, but 91 years of age. But the sad thing is, prior to coming to us, the previous day, he had been to the synagogue. And he'd been reading the scriptures in the synagogue. Prior to that, he, came, he went to the mosque. And just to make sure every base was covered, he'd been to the Catholic church. 
slightly before he came to the Baptist. But he came. I remember one morning he said to me, you nearly got me this morning. <laughs> Dr. John Piper says, the great tragedy of the universe is that while human beings were made to glorify God, we have all fallen short of this purpose. And Romans 1.23 says, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, especially the one in the mirror. Did you look in the mirror this morning? I'm sure nearly everybody looked in the mirror. And if you didn't look in the mirror, shame on you. <laughs> I looked in the mirror just to have a checkup. Romans 1.22 says, Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. He says at the end here, this is the essence of what we call sin. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Down through the centuries, many cultures and societies uh, Schools of learning have denied, discounted evidence for the one and only God. They don't want God there. Keep him on the shelf, that's okay, or out of the building, that's okay. Atheist, that, atheist is, is someone who doesn't believe in any kind of God. For example, Rich Dawkins and Chris Hitchens um, is said they mishandle their historical evidence in their books. What does the Bible say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I, I read some time ago about an astronomer. It was in a British paper, one of my visits, and he was an atheist. His name was Sir Fred Hall. Hoyle. He was one of the greatest scientists in the world. You know what he said one day that shocked other scientists? The universe has a creator. And a purpose is being, and the creation is being consciously controlled. And he said, now a note from within. He said, I'm not saying about a creation that's being sustained just from outside, but from within. And he goes on to say, the idea has come as quite a shock to me. There are just too many things in the universe that are exactly right for our existence. Then Anthony Flew, some of you might have heard, it. he was the, 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 the best known atheist. He died in 2010 for nearly 50 years. He was re reputed to be the most capable, persistent defender of atheism on the earth. In 2004, he saw, the, the, his own words, the designer hand of God in, for example, the, the unbelievable complexity of DNA. And it changed his mind to belief in the existence of God as creator. Now, both men, this is the sad thing, both men, as far as we know, never continued their search for truth by believing in Jesus Christ. But some atheists have done that. I noted down here about someone who's very prominent at the moment 
um, in, in different ways, but a man who, Dr. Francis Collins, you might have heard of him, director of the, past director of the Human Genome Project, one of the leading scientists in the world, is described working at the cutting edge of scientific research. That's the study of DNA building blocks. He's all the credentials, and this is a reporter that's saying this, to be an arch cynic when it comes to religion and faith, yet Francis claims that it was his involvement in medicine that took him from atheism to having a, a profound, unshakable faith in God. He says this, faith was not an important part of my childhood. 40% of scientists are believers in a personal God, although they're often rather quiet about it. At the age of 27, Francis had come to the conclusion that faith in God was more rational than unbelief. And after studying the world's religions and reading uh, um, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, he met the person of Jesus Christ. And these are his words on a beautiful day while walking in the mountains. He met Jesus Christ and he was astounded when he believed in God. Friends, if you come into this building this morning and you don't have really any desire to know this God, well, this God wants to know you. This God knows you before you were born, in your mother's womb and before. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welshman this time, and I heard him preach. He says this, we must come back to the soul and to the God who made it. We were made for him, we are meant for him, we have a correspondence with him, and we will never come to rest until, like that needle on the compass, we strike that northern point, and there we come to rest and nowhere else. Abram is called by God to a life-changing faith. I was raised as a child to know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He was called to a life-changing faith. He lived in a society that had ignorance about God. The God who really is personal, the God who really is all-powerful, the God who is really purposeful in everything he does. Introduction to Genesis, the message paraphrase says, if we don't have a sense of the primacy of God, we will never get it right. Get life right, get our lives right. Not God at the margins, not God as an option, not God at the weekends. God at the center, God at the very circumference, God first and last, God, God, God. I have in the front of a message translation, and I just saw it yesterday, these words by Erwin Lutzer. Truths of the mind must explode in the heart. I love that. Truths in the mind must explode in the heart. Has the truth about Jesus Christ moved from your knowledge to here, to the heart, to the inner life, the place to which God turns?
Abraham, leave your country. Verse 4. So Abraham left. Hebrews 11. By faith, when called to go, he obeyed and went. Romans 4.11. Abraham. Now, don't get confused by Abraham and Abraham, same person. Abraham is the father, is, is the father of all who believe. Now, I just want to say clearly this morning, we're called to experience and be impacted by a dynamic, life-changing faith. He heard God's word. He moved out. And he moved on through Aaron, Haran, to the land of Canaan. And when he arrived, what did he do? He built an altar, and he called on the name of God. Then verse 8 in Genesis 12, he says, he pitched his tent and built another altar and called on the name of the Lord. So what did an altar mean to Abraham? See, he wanted more than a sacrificial system, a ritual. He didn't go to any, any church, any, any building, any, any religious activity, and he, and he could get some ritual that he could practice. But he wanted more. Nomad he might be, but he was determined to put in his life permanent markers as a sign that indicated he, Abraham, had had an encounter with the living God. So he built an altar. He built altars as he journeyed, journeying through God's territory, giving evidence he lived for the living God. See, faith isn't just about the past act I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Faith is saying, giving evidence, and I have a commitment, continuing commitment to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Commitment to God by the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit lives in your life? My prayer before I came here this morning, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, keep on being filled with the Spirit of God. Are you filled with the Spirit of God this morning. Are you thinking about that nice lunch? I wish this preacher would get on and let me get down and have that. You know, my coffee time's coming up and I, I need to get out. I'm meeting somebody. And God says, I want to meet with you. Biblical faith is about having the right attitude towards God. You know, in the late 80s and 90s, and this dear lady is a worship coordinator for the the church in Spain, her, her, her um, band has about a um, um, praise group, I could call it, about 12 different people and about eight different nationalities. And uh, in late 80s and 90s, she was a pop star. Her first single stayed in the charts for 15 weeks and at number one spot for five weeks. It was the biggest UK selling record of the year, not only there, but in other parts of the world. And she continued the success, and she says this, I was famous, but dying inside. I was lonely and lost, and so began the search for deeper meaning. I didn't need experiences. I could have as many of them as I needed. I searched for an inner knowing that I had truly come into contact with the one true God. I ate for a glimpse of God. You know, she went to a Baptist church, and no one spoke to her. 
And she comes out in the Baptist church and she meets her hairdresser who used to be in drugs as she was. She says, what's happened to you? What's happened to you? Because she was smiling. She had met Jesus. Come to my church. Back to what I was saying. I ached for a glimpse of God. I wanted it to be personal, authoritative. I longed to fill the gap that was aching in my innermost being. The music business was robbing my soul. I cried out to God, weeping. Please help me. I believe you're there, but I don't know you. Please help me. I've searched everywhere. And she says, that night I opened, I found and opened the most profound spiritual book, that was the Bible, in the world. I knew very little about its author, but I sensed it was the last hope that I had. I cannot recall what I read. I cannot recall even understanding it. But I can recall an extraordinary experience gently coming over me as I lay down the book. In 1996, I believe, she came to a personal faith in Christ. She says, the desire I had to have Jesus in my life was extraordinary. I needed him so desperately. It was as though a dam had burst, it seemed, and the light was flooding into me. I chose to repent. I chose life. And I put my faith in him. And this is, the, this is the, the, the phrase that I want you to get a hold of. I put my faith in him that day, and now I live for him. Are you living for Jesus? Now, I can give testimony that that dear lady is praying for me this morning. She emailed me just to say, I'm praying for you today. And the air conditioner, she says, which went out, of course, in the heat of the weather. See, are you living in the realm of reality? N not what you possess, not your religious credentials. I should have said at the beginning, you hear my bio, but I'm only a sinner saved by grace, God's grace. It's all about God through Jesus Christ. God so hungers for a relationship with me and for you. Major religions all honor, three of them mainly, honor Abraham and his relationship with God, but they part company because of the claims of Jesus Christ. I like this little thing that was in the Minneapolis Tribune. It, it, um, it says, three-year-old Katie was taken to a pediatrician during a recent bout with the flu. As the doctor examined her ears, he asked, will I find Big Bird in there? Apprehensively, Katie replied, no. Then before examining his throat, he asked, will I find the cookie monster in there, in here? Again, no. Finally, listening to my, her heart, he asked, will I find Barney in here? With innocent conviction, she looked at him directly in the eye. She says, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. <laughs> I really liked that. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> Just sharing that. <laughs> See, I became a believer of Jesus eight years, at age eight. I'm now 69, approaching 70 fast. 61 years. But boy, it took me a long time because I wasn't the best pupil 
in God's school of obedience. And you heard something of my thing, but when I was age 41, I was reading these verses, Genesis 12:1. And the same day, I received a note from Minnesota, lovely place, 10 years spent there. And it says, your name has been given to us. Would you come and be interviewed? Cut a long story short. It was calling me to leave the UK to the USA. Why would we consider leaving family, a lively church? Anne had a Bible teaching to ministry, uh, to women, I should say. Leaving friends. So it was as big a cost for Anne as for me. Was I willing to leave my comfort zone? But we trusted the one who had constantly, continually guided us. And we failed him often, but he's never failed us. At 65 years of age, I get an email from Spain saying, your name has been given to us. Would you consider? I thought I was retired, Lord. You never retired in my business. And we went to Spain for a tremendous experience. You know, there's a great truth in Romans 5.1. We are justified by faith. Justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we accept that. We accept I'm set free, declared not guilty, no record of ever having committed wrong. It's removed from my record. Legally as if I'd never been accused. And Jesus takes my sin, my, 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 takes my debt, my sin, and he gives me his righteousness. He credits me his righteousness. Danger is that we might understand that truth, what justification is all about. But it says in Romans 1, 17, the righteous will live by faith. Are you living by faith this morning? Elizabeth Elliot says, God is God. Because he is God, he's worthy of my trust and obedience. I'm just asking this morning, are you willing to leave this world, and I don't mean literally, are you willing to leave the age that you live in and say, God, I'm all yours wherever you want me to go? Are you willing to do that? And it might be next to, it might be down, downtown Charleston, it might be downtown Mount Pleasant, it might be anywhere. Are you just saying, I'm willing? There's a variety of opportunities in this church. Are you willing to say, God, I've been on the shelf too long. God, take me off the shelf and use me. If you want me on the shelf for a little longer, that's fine. But Lord, I'm available for you. He is reality. This is not an image. This is reality. People of faith, you and I are called to see the invisible and believe, pursue the impossible and obey. But I live in a society, you live in a society that's denying the very God that we worship. The God is creator and sustainer of all things. There's a clash of two kingdoms, ours and God's. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. Friends, what are you trusting in? What are you believing in? The living God is relevant, says Abraham, says the Bible, for future, for his future, for my future, for your future. But Abraham staked his life upon it. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. If you think you're pleasing God this morning, but you don't exercise faith in your life, 
you're not pleasing God. I'm not pleasing God. You notice, Genesis 11.31, it says he got to Aaron, which of course was, as another story, but one of Terah's son, the father's sons, was, was Aaron. And they seemed to have got to this lovely oasis, uh, I think 600 lovely, a nice walk down the river Euphrates and arrived at Aaron, plush walk. But they kind of stayed there for a time because the next part of the journey was different. The route from Haran to Canaan was completely different. It was desert. Did he settle down in a place of disobedience? Who was calling the shots in Abraham's life? Or was he just being considerate of his father's age and well-being? I don't know. See, if we settle down in the place of disobedience... Disobedience means this, not hearing God's voice when he speaks. Now, I move on quickly. Two brothers, David Livingston, John Livingston. John's goal was wealth. David Livingston was the glory of God. And when you look at Encyclopedia Britannica, you notice John Livingston, wealthy as he was, brother of David Livingston. Why? David Livingston, now buried in Westminster, Abbey amongst kings and queens. He says, my Jesus, my king, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self, my whole life to you. Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to dedicate your whole life to God? It means developing a deepening relationship. You're called to that type of relationship if you're a Christian, my friend. You're called not only to faith, but you're called to a life of obedience. You know what obedience means? The Hebrew word means hearing takes place under something or someone. And in the Bible, the Bible refers to it as hearing takes place under God's lordship and God's revelation. How has he revealed himself? He's revealed himself in all creation, yes, but he's revealed himself in his word, the Bible. But how has he finally revealed himself? In the person of Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, one act of obedience is better than a thousand or a hundred sermons. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Have you settled in a place of disobedience this morning? I'm just concluding, you know, don't get encouraged by that, but um, because Paul would say in one chapter, in finally, brothers, in conclusion, and that was in chapter two, but anyway, don't, don't worry about that. But, you know, it might involve separation for you to step out with God. Leaving or loosening ties with your homeland, your society, your culture, your family, your friends, or even a particular relationship that can be harming you or helping you, a lifestyle that you become accustomed to, to serve the, and worship the living God. And I asked the question this morning, am I willing? Are you willing? 
Do you know I'm more in love with Jesus Christ today than I was the day I trusted him? And I know there's been bumps in that across along the road. I should add, I'm more in love with my wife today than the day we married. Are you willing to leave everything for Jesus Christ, for God? Second, faith and obedience involves purpose, having purpose. Jesus, it says of, uh, in, in, of Abraham in Hebrews 11, 10, he was looking forward to, to a build to a, to a city whose architect, whose builder was God. He was looking for someone in something in the future which had solid foundations, and he knows it's in God, and he knows he looks forward that the answer is in God's hands. And you know, the, 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 if, if Abraham graduated in God's school, you know what was written over his life? God's friend. A father of the faithful. See, I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches, that your life, my life, when we become Christians, believers in Jesus, we enter God's training school. And it's all about heaven. You and I are being prepared today for heaven. God has a purpose in your life. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. The last thing, realizing full potential. Faith and obedience involves realizing your fullest potential. I remember leading a mission team to Plymouth in England, and I remember through in the communion service a woman weeping her heart out and asked her what, what was wrong, and she says, I came to know Jesus Christ during the communion service. And I went back on a subsequent visit, and, and she said to me, you know, something wonderful has happened since I became a Christian. My husband has come back to the Lord. And secondly, he's opened up a whole new world to me. I realize there's purpose. We need dynamic, something dynamic in life. We're living too shallow. I'm living too shallow. I wish I'd realized that earlier. But I want to say this morning, God, God wants you to achieve your fullest potential. You are gifted. Every one of us is gifted, either naturally or even spiritually, especially spiritually. But our natural gifts are to be surrendered to him too. At Lady Yaz, in 2011, we were giving some invitation. I just want to show you that even in small things, God can, can use you. She left a leaflet in a government building. Into that building comes a couple from Colombia, South America, and they just shortly come from America, and, and they're looking for a church. And she says, and the invitation is to church. Ah, that's the church we'll go to. And they come, and he headed up their Spanish ministry after a time. His name was William and Angelica. He's working alongside a, called, a woman called Julie. And he says, she's talking about the difficulties of life and that. He says, you should come to our church. The leaflet passes from him to her. She comes to church and is gloriously converted. Her partner is coming home from England and it's near Father's Day and she takes the leaflet and gives it to him and says, come to, come to church this Father's Day. He comes to church, he's converted to Christ. I had the joy of marrying them, baptizing them, 
and receiving them all those ones intimate through one leaflet. Don't count out the little things with God. Don't dismiss little things you do for God. As someone says, great little hinges open great doors. Sometimes Scott's going to get carried away, but I don't want to get carried away too much. I want to say just, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect God's will really is. Moving on in faith and obedience requires a spiritual experience that changes our life and priorities. Secondly, encourages spiritual qualities revealing the fact that God is in charge of my life. Thirdly, implies spiritual communion or fellowship with God that challenges our society. Is the three of them? Evident in your life? A spiritual experience that's changed your entire life and priorities. Spiritual qualities that's revealing the fact that God is in charge of my life. Spiritual communion, fellowship, relationships. The obedience, knowing God, is all about, the word really means relationship with God. That challenges our society. Friends, Christians, we need to get off the sidelines. There's a world out there that's... One thing that's become apparent to me, that people are hungry for meaning. We have the answer. Those of you who know me, the last time I preached here, and I think I finished with this too, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. I could weep at this. All his wonderful passion and purity. Oh, thou Savior divine, all my nature refined till the what? The beauty of Jesus be seen in me. May that be so in my life. Dear Lord, I pray for these dear people. May they not see Jim McVicker, may they see the God of glory. May they not hear so much the message, but they meet Christ, who is the source of the message. Oh God, I just pray if in this building, Lord, there's some who do not know you, and that for the first time they come to know you, that they bend the knee. I'm going to give a moment of quietness for that, Lord. So if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, God wants a relationship with you. He's hungering that you have meaning in your life. He's waiting for you. He desires you. Just in these moments, just ask Jesus into your life. Like the old song, Jesus, I will trust you. Trust you with my soul. I'm guilty. I'm lost. I'm helpless, but you can make me whole. Come to Jesus. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. And my Christian friend, God is saying to you this morning, 
It's time to reassess your priorities. Oh, God, I just pray that Christian friends, believers, disciples, that will not be satisfied with the status quo, that will hunger for a deepening, developing relationship with our wonderful God and Savior, you, Lord. Oh, God, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh, fall afresh in us. Set our hearts on fire in this church, in our lives, in our community, in our nation, and in our world. And to God be the glory. Amen.